How do we survive in a cauldron of emotions that is the world now? Maybe not just how we survive, but how do we thrive in a cauldron of emotions? And really, the world has always been a cauldron of emotions. I think we're just really noticing now because it's swirling and boiling. But how to be in this, but not of it. The Buddha talked about being in the world, but not of it. So this is our opportunity here. And I'd like today to not just look at um, spiritual things, but also it's important on multi-levels that we're grounding in the body, we're relaxing the psychology, and we're working with the spiritual. It's all connected during times when there's a lot of trauma in the world, and we're in one of those times. So we really need to combine what we know about trauma psychology now and spirituality, and the two together can work in a powerful way in your practice. And when I say trauma, I really mean the pain body. I think a lot of us are really activated in our pain bodies now. So it's helping the pain bodies settle and relax. And that is the spiritual path. It's not a spiritual bypass. Working with the body and mind and the spirit. I'd like to read a poem. And um, Susan, you can put it up on the screen. It's called The Unbroken by Rishani Ray. The unbroken. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken, a shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief, which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. There is a hollow space too fast for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. And I know some of you are going through this. I know some of you personally just going through this brokenness and this unbrokenness. And I've been a trauma therapist for about 20 years in the uh, meditation community. And I really, I think it's important we address trauma and the pain body and we don't do a spiritual bypass. And I've been encouraging teachers and students for years to combine both. And, you know, during these times, we really can't afford to bypass trauma because the depression is real, the deaths are real, the suicide in young people is real, the hopelessness is real, the people who don't want to come out of their houses are real. 
And you know, one thing we haven't addressed as a culture is the fact that the elders, many, many elders have died almost overnight. And it's like clear cutting a forest of mother trees. There will be an effect to that when all the elders die suddenly. So that has a big reverberation on our collective body. And it's just to know that and name that. And we name things because it's about creating flow. When we don't name things, it gets stuck in silence. And we're silenced and it's like gaslighting. You know, we didn't name racism, when we didn't name uh, massacres that happened, when we didn't name sexual abuse in our families, when it's not named, there's no ability to connect and to heal. So it's working with these naming so we can bring optimum flow to our bodies, our minds, and our spiritual practice. And when we can do that, then we can come to the absolute, the emptiness, the ultimate goal of practice. And the Buddha even addressed this in Unclenching the Pain Body when Queen Melinda asked him about practicing loving kindness. He said, look, the first person you should practice for is you. There's no one in the whole world that deserves more loving kindness than yourself. So he had to start the healing with ourselves and our own body. Why? Because you are the world. You're it. So of course we start with ourselves. And you know, attachment researchers and trauma researchers know they call this tend and befriend. So you're tending and befriending your own mind, your own psyche, and it starts there. It's just like metta. And then after that, we can go to the voidness, the absolute. We're using both tools. And this naming of trauma, like I said, it takes it out of silence, but it also does something physiologically that they found in research studies. So Matthew Lieberman, who studied meditators, he found when they could name it, they could label emotions. It moved it from the amygdala, the fight or flight brain, to the prefrontal cortex, which was higher order processing. So it actually helped you relax when you could name it. So naming is important. And what are we naming here today now? You know, one thing we should be naming as a culture is we've had shock trauma and we've had collective shock trauma. And shock trauma is something that happens abruptly that we've never seen before. And if we can just name that, then we all won't feel so crazy. And then that's how to heal from that. Our whole world societal nervous system, not just yours, but our whole world nervous system is stressed, is in shock 
trauma. So just feeling that and just owning that as the first step of moving it from the brainstem up to here. The other thing with this cauldron of emotions is to realize that we're still in the trauma that we're trying to heal from. And as a trauma therapist, you never work with soldiers while they're still in battle. It's just impossible to treat PTSD when people are still on the front lines because their systems can't come to enough safety to heal. So it's tricky right now because we're still in the trauma and we could be for quite some time. So to also name that your system won't fully relax. And you know, it's true with people with ongoing flashbacks from childhood traumas, it's hard when the flashbacks are happening to fully relax as well. And really what we're naming is that our nervous system is still clenched and we have that COVID clench. So whenever you can, just little bit breathing, this retreat, doing things that help you connect. You know, we're still in that state of unsafety. And Susan, could you show the photo at the beginning of um, the pandemic? A friend of mine sent me this photo as we were all trying to go out and go to the store, honey, I'm going to the store. Do you want anything? And, you know, this is, <laughs> this is what we are kind of faced with. <clears throat> so you can take that down. And, you know, one way we regulate with trauma is seeing facial cues. And so like half of our facial cues are gone. You know, imagine like giving a talk and you're just saying this much. And people are wearing these bandanas that look like they're about to rob a store. We can't see smiles. We can't see ways that we regulate through cues, through touch. We can't touch each other. We can't often hear a voice from behind the mask. So our regulation tools are gone as well. So I'd like to go on a slight tangent, and this is really about helping you get bodily regulation of trauma and which allows us to relax and go to the absolute ultimately. So they're all connected. Don't think of anything as lesser than or different. It's an and. And it's important to go back to our original way that we regulated ourselves. First of all, we're mammals. And we have primal regulation ways that we come back to safety. And when we first were born, I know... All of you guys who are moms, you know, it's a lot of pain for the mom. Well, it's a lot of pain for the baby. They're being squeezed to death. And so our first shock trauma that we ever had to our bodies is being born, being born. And then the lights and all the intensity. But we came to regulation, we found safety doing something that's called a chest crawl. And it's this slow, 
arduous move up to safety and food of the mom. And it's a really, it's the, it's our body's first attempt to regulate and come to safety. And it's an epic struggle, <laughs> an epic push. So Susan, you can go ahead and we'll show these photos. So the first is the baby comes out and it's just got its little feet. And it's just starting to push with its legs and then move on to the next. Yeah, and then look, we're just, we're just trying with our toes and to get some leverage. And this is an epic struggle. <laughs> first one, and then the next. And then we're pulling with our hands. We're just trying to get up to safety, to food. And then the next. And then here we are, we're getting our head up. We're, we're pulling with our mouth. We're doing everything we can to get up. And then the last one. Yeah, and then often after the baby's done the struggle, it's been able to nurse it. It can just relax here. And I really like these photos because it's just seeing the, the baby's relaxed here. And you can take that down. This was our first struggle of our life and we all did it because we're here. So whatever struggle you're going through now, just keep in mind that oh, of that baby and know you can do it now, no matter how impossible it seems. So when the cauldron is working and working you, just coming back. And I developed a little chart for us on retreat that really can look at some of these body regulation tools. I mean, you have this image of this baby, hopefully that's powerful. Um, but I also have some tools, there's 10, but the first seven that we're gonna show now are just body regulation tools. And they're all part of our practice. So you could put that up, Susan. So listening to sounds really help us regulate. We did the heartbeat earlier today, the sound of water, touch, put your hand on your own heart, feel the touch of nature, sun or the wind, slow petting of a dog or cat. From head to tail, that's incredibly regulating to your nervous system. And you can do it in your imagination. It works just as well in your imagination. And you can repeat it. Eye contact 
And these are all tried and truth. Trauma therapists have all come up with these. I didn't make these up. Looking in the eyes of a friend or an animal for 30 seconds, just regulating with the eyes, the breath, doing exhale. They find exhale is better than inhale, so a long exhale. Again, regulating your breathing with another human or your pet. That's combination breathing. Smells. Olfactory is your first sensation. It's one of your first sense doors to come online. So it really can regulate your nervous system. There's aromatherapy might seem new agey, but it has it some roots and primal regulation of the nervous system. Bilateral movement, they know for a fact that really moves trauma through left, right, yoga, swimming, rocking, pushing your feet like that baby, dancing. And lastly, what we did in the meditation before, relaxing your eyes back, unclenching your tongue, unclenching your whole nervous system. They're really simple things, but um, we'll give this to you as a handout later that so you can just have these if you uh, want to do some tools for body regulation. You can take that down. Again, the point of body regulation is it paves the way for mental and psychology to relax. And then when our psychology can relax, it paves the way for the unconditioned and for insight. What we're trying to do in this cauldron of emotions, we're trying to create a true refuge inside of you, for you to be the refuge. And building connections is our spiritual path. It's the way out of the cauldron of emotions. And, you know, we could wait forever for the world to regulate out there, and it's just not going to happen. I mean, the world's never been regulated, let's face it. So really, in the end, it's got to be you. It's not going to regulate out there. And, you know, who knows what level of connection we'll be able to get back to. But you can start with connection on the inside. And I call it team building. And this is also part of some of our primal regulation tools for our psychology team building, regulating and creating your own internal family. And you know, a lot of us create an internal family that's like our family of origin, which is not necessarily good news. (laughs) So really looking at what kind of team do you have in here? And it's really a miracle because I have a family that's very disconnected. We're all estranged. It was pretty much I'm a family orphan. And yet, and I had an internal family prior to meditation practice and working with psychology tools, I had a war zone in here. And it's a true miracle that through practice and through mindfulness and trauma tools, I actually have a really good team now. 
And when something difficult happens, like the pandemic, the centered presence just says, hey, we don't know what to do. And every all the parts are like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And the centered presence just goes, well, we don't know what to do, but heck, we're, we're here together and we'll learn together and we'll work it out and I'll be there with you, a voice that can say, I'll be there with you. So you become the connection inside. You become the connection that you see. And it's possible for each one of us to become this team, this centered, connected, internal family. It's a true miracle. The practice works. And really, it's your birthright. And people with trauma histories, what they often do is they split up inside. They get into a million parts and they're all split. So it's really important that you pay attention to rebuilding your team, especially if you've had any history of trauma. You can get your team back. It's your birthright. It's your birthright. It's where we're going. And like I said earlier, the next Buddha, they say, is going to be a team, is going to be a Sangha. So it'll start with you. Can start with you. And in the internal family work, they say that you're doing on the inside what Jesus did on the outside. You're doing on the inside what the Buddha did on the outside, or Mother Teresa. And as Deepama, who I wrote about, an older woman practitioner, master teacher from India, she said, you're all my Dharma children. If you've nowhere to come sit, come sit on my lap. I'll always be with you. So she was modeling this team that she was completely of and from inside. She was that. And we can each be that. And being a connected team really starts with bringing in all your, quote, outliers, the hatred, the shame. Maybe you have parts that have no empathy these days. I've noticed that sometimes, sometimes parts that are just, I don't care. And it's just bringing all those outliers in. It doesn't mean we blend with them. They don't drive the bus, but it's bringing them all back home. And you can welcome them with welcoming eyes with touch, with voice, just bringing in all your outliers. I mean, that's what Deepama would do, and the Buddha wouldn't throw anybody out. So it can start with you doing that right here now. Being on the inside what you want to see on the outside. Again, we're not going to wait for the cauldron to settle down. And that's spiritual awakening as healing trauma. 
as knowing your true nature. You become the safe place that you seek. And miraculously, when you have this really great inner team, your cauldron will settle down and it gets quiet, gets quiet inside. And you become this mountain of stillness and calm, like Deepa came. And more and more, you just get quiet inside. And if anything stirs you up, you just notice. The Buddha said, come into this empty house, your heart, and know the way beyond the world. It's that quiet, this empty house, your heart. When we settle our nervous system, our our body and our psychology, then it naturally just leads to calm. So we're going to look at that primal regulation tool chart again, that, um, we're the first seven, but then we've got three more, the last three. And these are more for the, the cognitions and the mental. Opening up space is a really big way that we can work with the cauldron of emotions. Open up space. Slow things down. So, you know, um, anger is very dense. Number eight, when there's space, anger is a very dense emotion. Fear is a very dense emotion. Hatred is dense. The pain body is dense. So the more you can open up space inside and bring that emptiness or that voidness within, and it opens up the clench. It opens it up. The Holocaust survivor and psychologist Viktor Frankl said, the reason why we open up space, he said, because between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So that's the key number eight, the first one, opening up space, is the spiritual practice. And the slowing it down opens up space as well. Mr. Rogers, you know, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do, and then we do it. And there's a Cherokee saying, when the world speeds up, slow down. And lastly, on number eight, surfing. All emotions come in waves, and you can be a fear surfer. You can be a grief surfer. Fear is like this. Worry is like this. You know, going back to work, going back to our social settings will be surfing. You bet it's going to be surfing. Surfing's about being flexible and present. And, you know, when you surf, you actually pay attention to the, the water and the space. You're not just surfing the wave. You're surfing the space as well. So open up space, open up space. 
labeling your thoughts and emotions. We already talked about that. Naming your emotions, number nine. We talked about noticing your parts. Constantly looking at who's driving the bus. What party is driving? Is fear driving the bus? Is anger driving the bus? Who's driving the bus right now? Again, that gives you this choice when you can speak for a part rather than from a part. And that's a big difference, for a part rather than from a part. It gives you that space that Viktor Frankl talked about of choice. Oh, I'm in an anger part. Oh, I'm in an overwhelmed part. And then lastly, returning to your center, working with the witness. The witness is obviously who notices who's driving the bus. And in psychology circles, they often call the witness your non-anxious presence. That points to the Buddhist witness. So even when the cauldron is going on and on, you can, you witness that which is just in the center watching. And you can go ahead and take that down. Thank you, Susan. And one thing to be aware of as we serve these emotions and we're working with our psychology is you can be 100% present but that doesn't mean you have to be 100% open. And that, that idea comes from Judith Orloff, who's a teacher to people who are empaths. 100% present, mindful, aware. That doesn't mean you have to be open and bludgeoned to death. And you might just play with that. 100% present. Doesn't mean you get walked all over or you do nothing. It means you have this possibility of an action rather than a reaction. And when we're just in the witness, we're at the center and we're just watching. And that's a powerful place to be. Again, it's 100% present, just watching. So Susan, if you could put up the eye photo. <laughs> so we're helping relax our trauma bodies, our pain bodies, which are a lot of what our eye is, but then eventually we're going from the eye and the trauma field to the eye. It just sees everything, sees the night sky full of stars, sees the earth, that eyeball in this picture is the earth. The continents are there in the eye. And that's where we're going. So when there's a storm, you're just watching the storm. You're watching the cauldron of emotion. You're watching inside and out both. And when you're just the witness, there's no cauldron of emotion. There is no cauldron. And yet there is. So one thing we should be aware of, and Susan, you can put up that trauma chart, is to witness and name, we're going to have trauma parts. 
everybody does. You will, the world will. So when you have trauma, you get these four responses. The top two are kind of acting out. The bottom two are more acting in. And you can see like we're getting all this in the world and maybe in ourself. We're getting people that are in anxiety states. That's a flight state. We're getting people who are in anger states, the fight. People who are freezing and people who are getting into these uber people, pleasers, overwhelmed. And that's a new trauma response they've identified, by the way, the fawning has kind of recently came about. But just watch, you know, which one you're in, when you're seeing people around you, which ones they're in. Again, when we name things, then we're not lost in it. So it allows us to move to the emptiness. Because, oh, yeah, there's the there's the narcissism, there's the anger, there's the freeze, there's the panic. And this is the whole cauldron of emotions right here. You want, you want to see what the cauldron is? It's these things. People blending with these, not being able to see them for what they are. I mean, the cauldron's really created by people blend and they don't go to the space, they don't go to the witness. So you don't have to do that. You can name these. And you can take that down. Thank you. You know, so watch when you see the lack of empathy. Watch in yourself or others. You know, it's fascinating being in Hawaii because people, and this is happening in Florida too, people are taking these revenge vacations <laughs> are like so mad they've been cooped up or whatever. So they're coming, they're just in a revenge vacation is like, I'm going to do whatever I want and I don't care. And it's just the intensity is amazing to watch. And, and you know, if you can stay in the witness of that rather than then meeting it with more revenge, you know, from the other side. Otherwise, it just escalates in the cauldron, right? unless you have one person who's staying in the eye of the storm and watching, watching this, watching that. And then you're just here like an owl. And that's Dharma, the silent center watching. Again, that's opening up space. Who's driving the bus? Breathing naming. So this brings to the last most important principle that I want to talk about today. To really bring you to that silent center, it's stay out of your thoughts. And that's like, really hard to do. I know. Like I said earlier, there's only Four postures, there's sitting, there's standing, there's lying down, there's walking, everything else is just a story. You can hit the mute button on the thoughts. You can zero out, you can empty the trash. Ground zero. And you have to be careful. Like I said, spiritual bypass 
is a tricky thing and it really can go in our meditation communities. But when you're ready, when you're ready to leave the trauma field, when you're ready to leave the pain body, and it might just be in bits and pieces, go to this emptying out the thoughts. It's with the right timing, this is the evolution of your true nature towards emptying out of the you. There's a poet that lives on Maui. He died recently. He said, I think I'm going to retire from me. <laughs> retire from you. And you don't want to do it prematurely, but when you feel ready, start experimenting with hitting the mute button. What's it like to be in this without a story? And you can do it more and more. It's really ending the love affair. We have a love affair with our thoughts, our minds, our views. And the Buddha called this word, it's really great. It has an automatopoeia to it. He called views and opinions are ditti, D-I-T-T-H-I, ditti. Ditti, 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 just on and on and on and on and on. He said, views and opinions are numberless. He said there was no end to, quote, wrangling with views, the jungle of views, the thicket of views, just endless, endless views. And the Buddha himself talked about being beyond a viewpoint. He had no viewpoint. So that's the ultimate absolute we're looking at. Who would you be without a viewpoint? If you walked away at, from that I and you just were the I, who would you be? Again, it's not waiting for the world to come around. Not waiting for the world to resolve this love affair with its own mind. It's for you to do this. A couple of quick suggestions on doing this. Watch your life handle things. We think that this handles it and figures it out, but just watch. <clears throat> Give the game to the game. <clears throat> Surrender the game to the game. The entire game runs on its own. It's almost like in the old days, they had those pianos that just played themselves on a program. Like, that's you and me. We're just like a program's being played on this piano. Or it's a self-driving car if you're younger. But there's not a you there. The other thing is periodically remind yourself that all thoughts are imagination. I had a Buddhist teacher and he was just constantly, anything you'd say to him, he'd go, imagination. Just note imagination, <laughs> like everything. Or as Deepama's teacher Menindra would say, the thought of your mother is not your mother. Thoughts are my, like mirages we never get to. They just go on one, creating another, creating another, creating another. They're like these YouTube videos where you just go and go and you end up at you know, uh, you always end up seeing a celebrity doing something. I, I don't know how that works, but shh. 
It's just they're like rabbit holes and they're echoes and they're math sets. Our thoughts are like math sets. They're a matrix. So see through the matrix, see the matrix. Susan, <laughs> she's going to play a little clip, the best clip of the whole Matrix movie where it's just that sense. You're the one, you can see through it. He saw the matrix. It was just all these numbers. That's the mind, the illusion of mind, the true maker of the cauldron. See the origin of the cauldron. It's not out there. It's just like the matrix movie. It's not out there. It's you seeing through it. And notice what Neo did in that scene. He opened up space. The bullets were coming at him. Boom, there was just all this space, the space to reach in and see the illusion between stimulus and response. There's a space where choice can happen. That's you. That's what we're doing here. And there's always a space. There's a space between every one of your thoughts right now. There's a space between every one of your emotions right now. Even if you have pain, there's a space between pain sensations. There's a space between thoughts of you Know that space, be that space. Don't worry about the 10,000 things in the cauldron of emotions. Be the space. And what's beautiful about space is it's never disturbed. Space just is. It's always the same, eternal, infinite, universal, empty. The space that was here at the time, time of the Buddha is the same as the space that's here now, that'll be here millions of years after you die. Same space. And the, the beauty about space is it naturally brings us back to connection and that healing of trauma is via connection. Space connects everything. It's connecting us all right now.
right there, there's the connection. When you feel what connects us all. And what is the end of all things? Space. I wrote this little poem called The Fire of the Pandemic. After the fire, only ashes and devastating loss. Our hearts torn asunder, dreams, hopes, people, places, things, disfigured or destroyed. We are only ever just here. Any idea of getting and owning and keeping was only that, an idea. Even acquiring wisdom or experience or learning from this, yet another castle of sand. Nothing means nothing. The fire of truth. If you've been ravaged by the pandemic, allow the grief to open up a space where eternity can pour in and the night sky full of stars becomes your body, brain, heart, soul. Here, my friend, is love. Let the grief open up a space. And then you get to be the space. And you know, all the noise, all the things coming at you in the matrix, just realize who you were before anything gave you your name and your form. What was this glass before we gave it a name and a form? What was this inside it before we gave it a name and a form? The words lead to the wordless, back to the emptiness. And then you can just be, just be. And there's kind of a cute cartoon that I have. Susan, you can put that up. That really just exemplifies this. It's one of those days when I'm looking for the kind of thoughts I'm used to because I don't really like the ones that are actually there. And it hit me. I could also just sit here in the sun and not listen to any of it. And I'd be perfectly fine. <laughs> so you can just be when you're all struggling with your thoughts. The truth is the awakeness has no thoughts. The universal witness has no thoughts. You can be that now. And you know, when you were a baby doing that chest crawl, your consciousness didn't have thoughts or emotions. You just had this innocent consciousness. So that innocent consciousness is here now. It's just relaxing back into it, relaxing out of our pain body, our trauma symptoms, our worldliness, relaxing back. As simple as that baby doing the chest call, crawl, as simple as our original consciousness, which was innocent and empty. You can feel that now. 
that innocent consciousness. Just seeing, just hearing, just breathing, just being. That's why we love babies. It's really simple. We get to come back to our non-traumatized self, our original nature, our true nature, empty, present. So we began with a story, or we began with this idea of the chest crawl to safety. And I'd like to end with the idea and a story about leaving. You know, we talked about our deathbed goals. There's how we leave this world or this matrix illusion as well. And one of my friends is a hospice nurse. And he was recently working with a woman in her 90s. And she just, she really wanted to die. She was quite old. She was terminal on hospice, but she just couldn't die. And unfortunately, like some of us, she, she came from a culture where there was a lot of control in her cultural background. And so she just didn't know how to let go. And so one day she turned to my friend, the hospice nurse, and she said, you know, all these people are talking about letting go. And she goes, how do I do that? And because he's a Dharma practitioner, he realized he didn't know the answer. (laughs) So he just sat there and he just didn't say anything. She's like, how how do I let go? I want to let go. How do I let go? And he just waited. And then he took her hand. Something inside him told him to take her hand. And he just held her hand and he said, well, it's like this. And he squeezed her hand and then he let it go. And then he squeezed her hand and he let it go. And he said, no, just try that. So she squeezed his hand and she let it go. And then they started talking about other things, her family and maybe some medical issues that he had to cover with her. And he said the whole time he was talking with her, she was squeezing his hand and letting it go, and practicing the whole time they were talking. And the next day she died. So remember that clench? This clench of COVID is learning about ending the clench of you, the clench of the matrix. Just squeeze it, let it go. It's that simple and that natural. When she felt that, she just moved back into her naturalness and then just letting life take you back to the emptiness, back to the emptiness. Back to your true nature before you were born.
So I'd like to close with a little writing from Master Hongonshi, who was a Zen teacher in 1100 AD. And his writing actually includes the title of our um, Dharma retreat. He calls it the backward step and the upright cauldron. And it's about this letting go. The 10,000 dharmas are the mind's light. Step by step, go beyond a fixed location, unimpeded as on a bird's path. Just respond to each event of the world. Moment to moment from the beginning, all minds, all thoughts are without extraneous forms. The one simple true brightness is persistent. Wisdom arrives inside the circle. Affairs are left outside the gate. You must take the backward step and return home. You must take the backward step and return home. The wooden man takes the backward step and the golden cord is severed. So we take the backward step, we sever the golden cord, we let. Just let go. Not even you to let go. And that, my friends, is the Dharma of trauma, spirituality, of all of it. Life, death. So let's sit for one minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.